the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business, a podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Cliff Taylor, sitting in for Kieran Hancock. On this week's episode, we'll discuss the potential effectiveness of the so-called Latte Levy with Michelle McClockney, co-owner of Restaurant Olive's Room and co-founder and managing director at Vital Ireland, a company that helps businesses deliver a sustainable, reusable packaging system. But before that, Irish Times business and technology journalist Kira O'Brien joins me to discuss her recent reports about the Irish tech firm Intercom. Kira O'Brien, give us some background first on Intercom, when they were founded, what they do what kind of company they are. Okay, so Intercom was founded in 2011. Um, so it's a 12-year-old company at this stage. So the, the founding team was Owen McCabe, Des Trainer, Kieran Lee and David Barrett. And the majority of that founding team are actually still with the company. They got to unicorn status in 2018, which is where the company is valued at more than a billion dollars. And they were, they kind of, they had a very good proposition at the time. They were doing something different. They were enabling their 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 clients to talk directly to with their customers through websites and mobile apps, which you know wasn't really an option at the time. So they very quickly grew. They got to I think it was ninety million dollars in turnover by the end of January twenty nineteen, and a year later that was up to one hundred twenty five million dollars. So you can see, like obviously, that things were, were were going quite well. At the same time, losses were were shrinking. Um, obviously, there's a lot of development uh, required with these companies, so you know they will obviously spend a lot of money on stuff like that, and. Things were were going fairly well. They reached two hundred million dollars in recurring revenue in basically their their, their financial year ending January twenty twenty two. Accounts on that we should see very very shortly. And everything was kind of pointing for you know the only way is up for Intercom. They were headed for what looked like a, a stock market flotation, but then obviously things changed for everybody in the tech sector after making it through the COVID. Uh, crisis, I suppose, relatively unscathed. Um, a lot of tech companies saw their fortunes start to, to fall back a little bit, you know, due to you know external macroeconomic factors, a general crunch in the economy, um, and a lot of fallback from where COVID had given them a bit of a boost. Uh, you know, obviously, companies started to scale back a bit of spending on on that side of things. So that was the tech sector generally, and obviously, then that started to impact on Intercom. They had a couple of rounds of the job cuts. And like every other their tech company out there, they're obviously they were tightening their belts and they were they were readjusting to I suppose the new economic normal. Okay, and um, one of the founders, Owen McCabe, had led the company, had been chief executive, and moved up to chair of the board. Then, when a woman called Karen Peacock took over, and then she left in the middle of uh, the job cuts, and Owen McCabe came back. Is that correct? But what happened was Karen had joined the company as chief operating officer in 2017. And then in 2020, she transitioned to chief executive. And, and you know, Owen McCabe had been chief executive up to that point. He decided that he was going to move on to this chairman role. And, you know, it was time for some, I suppose, some new leadership in the company. And Karen, by all yeah. accounts, uh, from what I've seen and from what people have told me, was a, re- a very well-liked person within the company and was well-liked as chief executive. Then 
you know, obviously then last year Owen came back in October and Karen left quite abruptly and staff, you know, obviously we're a bit shocked. There was a bit of a, a shock there. You know, she transitioned to be an advisor to the board uh, and pursued other projects outside of Intercom and Owen came back at the request of some of the board members to to lead the company, I suppose, in this new period of uncertainty. Okay. Yeah, obviously the kind of thing that sometimes happens in in founder-led companies and management comes in and then sometimes there are changes there. So interesting and not atypical, I guess. But then some controversy emerged in recent weeks, specifically surrounding the company's support for uh, the Pride Parade and the Pride Project. Can you fill us in on how that all started to emerge? So this starts with, I suppose, it's the external support for Pride that, you know, you see a lot of tech companies doing this. You know, people will change their company logos to pride flags to to coincide with it. Um, a lot of the tech companies, we don't have a, a kind of a program of events where both staff internally and then externally as well, they'll show their support for pride. And, you know, it is something, I suppose, look, a lot. It, it's a controversial topic because a lot of people see this as performative, as box ticking. Sure. But for, I suppose, people who are involved in those communities, you know, it does show them that the company is behind them. And I think... You know, it, it's been seen, I suppose, in recent months and, and the last couple of years, more important to, to staff than ever. Because it's, you know, it shows that the company is putting its hands up and saying, you know, we support all our employees. And I suppose as, as well as the kind of social reasons for doing that and part of companies fulfilling their wider responsibilities, it's also generally seen as, as an interest in the interests of the companies themselves because it helps them to attract staff and retain staff. It does. And you know, a lot of it revolves around these employee resource groups. You know, they, they're internal communities of staff. Yeah. Tell me what they are. That was a new, uh, a new phrase for me. Right. So basically what they are is um, a lot of the, a lot of Fortune 500 companies actually have these, about 90%, I think, of the, uh, according to McKinsey anyway. So what they are, they're internal communities of workers who maybe share specific ideals or identities and, sure. and interests. And, you know, what they do is they create a sense of community. So they would have ones, say so some of the, the ERGs would be for parents. Some of them would be for LGBTQIA+. Mm. Some of them would be for Asian employees. Some of them would be for... Latinx employees or you know any kind of community sure. that you you have there you know and it, it's they're generally seen as a positive thing you know that if companies encourage this it shows that they are as well embracing diversity uh, equality inclusion the companies where those ERGs work well generally staff report a, a, a kind of a greater sense of inclusion than companies who either don't support them, don't have them, or where they're kind of, they don't really work that well. So it's not, sure. it's, it's, it's important to have them, but it's also important for them to be run well, for staff to actually identify with them and to get the benefit out of them. Sure. So this, and Intercom had been a strong supporter of, uh, of Pride for a number of years. Previously, when Owen was chief executive, you know, he had been a supporter of Pride initiatives as well. And, you know, he, he made that point to staff on calls since these stories have emerged, you know, that he was involved in those early initiatives as well. Sure. And it's not... Basically, when he came back, you know, I think that the clue was in the initial message that he had sent out to staff, you know, where he was talking about, you know, kind of focusing on the work. And this is nothing new for Owen. When we did an interview with him back in, God, I think it was 2015, he had said the same thing, you know, that, that Intercom wasn't your typical kind of Silicon Valley company. It was founded, it's an Irish founded company. You know, at the time we did that interview, it was, it had its headquarters in America. Its R&D headquarters are now in Dublin. But, you know, at the time, you know, Silicon Valley was seen as, you know, it's, it had all these kind of 
you know, uh, it's frippery, you know, it was, you had your foosball tables and you had slides and, you know, sure. the offices were basically playgrounds. Intercom yeah. wasn't like that. You came in, you did your work, you know, you got yeah. to go home and have some time with your family. And obviously though, you know, these ERGs are not included as kind of like a, a, an, ex, an extra that only Silicon Valley companies do or something that can be, I suppose, dispensed with um, because it is important. As I said, you know, Fortune 500 companies have embraced this, you know, and generally when something like that happens, it's because sure. there's benefits for business and it's not just about the benefits for staff. Absolutely. So these ERGs have been a very important part of, of Intercom and, you know, that they gave, kind of, they all had a, an executive sponsorship. They, they gave resources to it. But sure. So what, what happened this year then? So there's been a change of policy and, you know, from talking to staff, it wasn't immediately clear that this was the change of policy when from October last year. But apparently sure. uh, this new focus on work included, um, you know, kind of, I suppose, less of a focus on these these initiatives um, and anything that was considered, I suppose, outside of the of building the company and, and focused on this mission of work first was kind of being deprioritized. Um, and yeah. that included, you know, as we now see the ERGs. So they don't no longer have this executive sponsorship. They no longer need an executive sponsorship, but likewise, they don't have access to the resources that they would have had. So, you know, there, there's new policies that have been put in place for the ERGs that kind of outlines this um, and how the company will treat them going forward. It's not that they've banned ERGs, but it's just that they're not giving them the same support as they used to. Okay. And how did this reflect in terms of the company's support for uh, for Pride, the Pride Parade? I think the first sign of it that most people, most people would have actually missed it. It was, it was a blink and you miss it moment. There was a video yeah. put up at the start of June um, that had an Intercom staff member talking about the importance of being an ally. And it was up for a couple of hours and then it disappeared. Uh, there was mm. a, a LinkedIn post that was live for a while that would have linked to the, the video, but obviously the video was gone so you couldn't get access to, to the particular yeah. links. And then the LinkedIn post disappeared as well. And then we started to hear um, from a number of different sources that, you know, there, there's, there was things that flags had been taken down from the office. And, you know, Intercom would have been fairly vocal. I mean, if you look back on the 2022 kind of pride content that they did, you know, there was podcasts, there was blog posts talking about, you know, about the, the importance of inclusion. And, you know, it was just... It was much more visible outwardly. Now, mm. internally, you know, we've been told that there was some events that were approved. You know, there was a there was a, an employee um, quiz. There was a virtual quiz that, and there was a fireside chat with the head of Belong To, which is a charity that Intercom supports. But mm. in terms of, uh, you know, it was 2022, the team was out in the world and bringing people in. And it was about sharing the experiences of, of those who were out and, you know, giving allies the, the, the knowledge to support people in the community. There was education sessions, there was events for staff, there was donations to, to charities. And this year yeah. it was just much more subdued. And I said, like, flags being taken down out of the office, you know, that was when people mm. actually noticed, hang on, something's different and there was questions yeah. being raised entirely through um their their I suppose their internal comms channels that you know I've seen the the messages myself where people saying you know where did the flags go and people thought maybe they'd been taken to go to the parade but uh, you know that wasn't the case the flags okay. had just been taken down and and you know Owen since referred to it as a, a kind of a knee-jerk and, and a hasty response but you know it happened and people started to sit up and take notice. Okay and what was the reasons the company gave for this kind of refocusing and kind of, I suppose, pulling back from social issues, including this one? Well, 
what they've said was, you know, they're they're deprioritizing everything that's not focused on building the business. And in okay. this case, this is what this is classed as. So when staff questions um, Intercom about this, now they, they do these regular all-hands meetings. And when staff mm-hmm. asked Owen on the, the, the meeting about this, he said Pride had got wrapped up, unfortunately, within some circles in more divisive and, and political issues. Now, he didn't go into detail mm-hmm. about what he saw those issues as, but he did say okay. that it had been a tough decision, particularly because he'd previously been involved in organising Pride celebrations for the company. So while they've pulled the public support for Pride, you know, they said they, they did have these internal events, but most people would see the public support as the important thing. Um, and Owen did say he personally approved those internal events. So, you know, he's, he's basically saying, look, you know, he, that he's not opposed to Pride, but that this isn't Intercom's core message. And because it's political and divisive, you know, maybe that this is this year that they're, they're just everything is about work. Everything is about building the business. And yes, I can I can understand that. And I don't think that anybody is is going to say that companies shouldn't be focused on building their business. And there are plenty of people within Intercom who, who I'm sure support the pulling of any sort of external support for Pride too. Um, you know, businesses are diverse. There's, there's 900 people working in Intercom. Not sure. everybody is, people aren't homogenous lump, you know, not everybody's of the same sure. opinion. But obviously people who had previously taken part in all these initiatives and previously supported all these initiatives were wondering why the difference, what's happened now. Okay. And... Am I correct in saying that the company is kind of making the case that this isn't directly reflecting on pride? It's it's more a general a general policy, if you like, of of, of focusing and of not getting involved in wider political and social issues on, on focusing on the bread and butter, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. They they basically said that, you know, it was unfortunate, I think, that that pride was the first kind of high profile casualty yeah. of this. But what they have said is yes, like this is going to be a, a blanket policy going forward, that they're not getting involved in again, it comes back to this deprioritizing of anything that's not focused on building the business. And if it's not directly related to Intercom's business, it's not going to be given the priority that it would have maybe would have been before. And in general, the reaction of staff insofar as we know? Um, the reaction of staff is I've seen a few things. I've seen, you know, people publicly commenting um, on this topic uh, internally in, in Slack channels. And I've also seen blind. Now, if you're not aware of what blind is, blind is a... It's a it's an Predictably, app. I'm not. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay well, blind is... Um, basically, it's, it's, it's an app that's where employees can join channels for their specific companies and they can discuss issues among themselves. So in the last few months, you would have seen um, issues about, you know, maybe uh, hiring freezes come up in these channels. Now, there are public channels in Blind, but most of the stuff that's discussed goes on in these private channels. And to be a member of one of those private channels, you have to have a verifiable um, email address for that company. So I can't go and join Microsoft or Amazon or Intercom's channel. I I can only join one for the Irish Times. So basically, staff in those channels, because you know, this, these are anonymous, uh, so people don't know who is yeah. commenting, right, okay. but they do have to have that that intercom email address. So staff within yeah. those channels have been discussing this. And, you know, there are one or two people who are basically saying they're delighted that the the, the, the pride support is gone and that, you know, that there's focus on work and they don't see the need to focus mm. on, on pride or anything else apart from, you know, go to work, do your work, go home. Mm. But there are 
many more people who are more upset by this because, you know, they were proud to, to work for a company that showed such outward support for, for Pride. Yeah. Uh, and while obviously, you know, so that, that support is not 100% gone, as the company has made very, very clear, you know, they did have some internal events, mm. you know, the, the external support is what everybody else sees. And that was what was important to these employees. Sure. It's a really interesting issue. I mean, the tech sector in general is under pressure. Uh, margins are tighter. Cutbacks are being made. Is there any sign of a more general move away from supporting social and wider political issues among tech companies who have been, I suppose, at the forefront of this in terms of the corporate community in recent years? Or is do we think Intercom is kind of a, an outlier here? There's been rumblings, but look, there's nothing concrete in terms of a trend that I can see. And I think, hmm. you know, obviously, look, every company has to decide for themselves what they want to support and what they don't. And um, there has been public backlash against some companies who have supported Pride. But then I don't think um, any company goes into things knowing that you, know, you can't please all the people all the time. They have to make their own decisions as to what's important to them. Um, I mean, like Disney has stood up against, you know, a backlash against uh, rights in the US. Um, you know, we, we've seen that happen. We've seen the, the backlash that happened against Budweiser for ad campaigns that it ran. But I think, you know, in, in terms of whether there's a general pullback, I, I haven't seen anything that would indicate this. And even if there was, I mean, that doesn't mean that staff will stop supporting it because I think there was a, there was a big thing, I think, when Apple, case in point, Apple, years and years ago, when Apple was, was on the verge of bankruptcy and Steve Jobs came back, you know, they pulled back a lot of their, their kind of their altruistic programs. Staff continued to do charitable donations and the company eventually started matching those donations again. So I think if staff keep at it, you know, companies will follow anyway. But in terms of what's happening at the moment, I mean, I haven't seen any kind of outward uh, pullback in general in the tech sector. And in terms of job shortages across the board, across the world in that sector, you would think that emphasising inclusiveness in all its aspects is uh, is probably in the business's interests as well. I think if you want to attract the right staff, if you want to attract the right staff for your company, you have to give staff what they want. And, you know, whether that is remote working or hybrid working or, you know, mm. diversity inclusion, the thing is, is like when it comes to the diversity and inclusion, it's not just a box ticking exercise because companies that have a more diverse and inclusive workforce tend to perform better. And especially mm. in the tech sector, I mean, the tech sector can't afford to be blinkered because you see the problems that happens. I mean, particularly now we're getting into the age of AI where having, you know, a diverse range of voices at the table and a diverse uh, range of employees feeding input into these uh, into these type of products, you know, that's going to have an impact further down the line because, you know, what I see as a problem, somebody else may not, you know, so every, you need to have these different perspectives when it comes to, 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 to tech companies. We've seen what happens when there's a homogenous uh, blob, I suppose, of people working on specific products because, you know, it, whether that's, you know, uh, culture diversity of of viewpoint diversity of gender because what some one one person sees as a problem another may not and it may take that one person to to stick their hand up and say we can't do this because for this reason it's going to impact this particular sector of our customer sure. base badly you can't yeah. just you know you can't just rely on you know the, the same faces sitting around a table you need to have a diverse workforce sure, you sure. need these initiatives to attract these people into your company and you'll be a better company for it yeah and we know the business costs of getting those things wrong Kira O'Brien of the Irish Times thank you very much for joining us thank you
We'll be back after this short break to discuss the new Lasse Levy. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Welcome back. I am joined on the podcast now by Michelle McLaughney. Michelle, you are co-owner of Olive's Room, a restaurant located in the Red Stables at St Anne's Park in Rohini. And you're also co-founder and managing director at Vital Ireland, a company helping businesses to deliver a sustainable, reusable packaging system. Uh, That all makes you uh, a good person to discuss the government's plan to introduce a 20% tax on disposable coffee cups, the so-called latte levy. What's your view on that? So initially when um, it was launched, it was actually launched in Olive Zoom and Tantarf. Richard Bruton came along and said, I want to launch something that's going to be great for the environment. That's your restaurant. That's the restaurant, yeah. And uh, we were... Extremely nervous um, because we depend hugely on coffee sales. It accounts for about a third of our business, and we're in You're a park. You're in St. Anne's Park. We're in so St. Anne's Park, yeah. A lot of and business, yeah. yeah, and we have a lot, a lot of. Uh, most of it is takeaway coffee, yeah. um, so we were extremely nervous. Um, but having researched and, and thought about it, we have now come down heavily in favour of it. Okay. Um, so we have imposed at the moment a 30 cent levy in Oliver's Room. And unfortunately, it's not changing behaviour as much as we would like. Okay. Um, but it hasn't reduced in any uh, reduction in sales. Okay. So you're trying um, to get people to bring. So what we're trying to do is either people bring their own cups or yeah. they, they choose to use uh, a cup that we supply. Okay. And we supply it free of charge. Um, and it's, it's the behaviour shift. It's it's so systemic in people's nature to just take, make, waste, dispose of sure. that it, it takes a while to educate people. And if they have a few minutes and, and we do stand at the queue and we do talk to them and, and explain to them, Great. then it, then we get people on board. And we would maybe have a thousand maybe uh, uses, you know, over a month period where people are, are starting to move toward our system. Okay. Um, but it hasn't... It hasn't decreased our sales, which is a huge relief. Okay. But the behaviour shift over to reusables, even though it's a completely free system that we're supplying, sure. there's no deposit, there's n- there's nothing, it's completely free for the customer. Yeah. Behaviour shift has been slower than we would have liked. Okay. So we believe that you need to nudge from both sides. And the hopefully... Carrot on stick. Carrot on stick. So the, all of this talk about the Larry Levy and all the discussion and mm. people finding solutions... I think that's going to start, you know, bringing it home to people in their minds. Sure. Um, so it's use- a useful discussion, you think? I think it's an amazing discussion and I think it's a great starting point. Um, we'll come back to the idea of restaurants providing their own cups and what you're doing there in, in a few minutes. But just on the levy itself, a lot of people in the industry are saying, look, this is too across the board. This doesn't distinguish between different kinds of cups, reusable ones, yeah. uh, ones that aren't reusable, uh, ones bought in Ireland, was bought outside Ireland, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And also, of course, yeah. that it's going to it's gonna cut sales and cost jobs, although perhaps your experience suggests otherwise. Yeah. What's your take on that? 
I think that people want to do the right thing. I think mm. the consumer wants to do the right thing. And our experience in, in speaking to other businesses, um, and we have spoken to a lot over the last two years since mm. we since we set up our company, is that they want to do the right thing. And I mean, we are nervous about a, a flood of really cheap uh, reusables being kind of put up there in inverted commas as reusables that aren't really reusables mm. and that cause more damage. Time will tell. I mean, there will have to be some quality data brought in or some rules brought in. And I think the UE are looking at that, some legislation in relation to, you know, the level of how they are reusable. So I think that 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 will come. And I am concerned about a flood of, you know, cheap reusables. But from talking to business owners, they want to do the right thing. And I think they'll do the research. And I don't think they will bring in cheap reusables. Um, And I think the consumer wants to do the right thing. Sure. Um, we certainly, we have been very involved in our um, local communities. So with all the GA clubs, with the um, Clontar Residents Association, um, with all our individual coffee shops in the area. And we haven't found anything, only support and positivity. And everybody wants to do something. We all know the writing's on the wall. Sure. At the so, same time, I guess, Michelle, money's tight. Money um, is tight. People are, for, for businesses and for and for consumers, so yeah, I understand that. Um, but this, the system doesn't have to cost the consumer. Sure. And just because single-use disposable is cheaper than an environmentally better product, doesn't mean that we shouldn't make the shift. We can't keep damaging the environment because sure. ultimately we damage ourselves. Okay. Um, so it is going to cost a little bit more for businesses. Um, what are you talking about? A percent or two percent more? Um, I don't think you're talking about hugely a huge amount more. Sure. Um, there was a report done by economist Jim Power suggesting that if the levy is introduced across the board, it could cost over four thousand jobs in the sector. Does that, that does that ring true with you, or I, or not? Or I can only speak from reasonable or not from my only from my own experience. Mm. Um, I'm not an economist, um, and I scanned through his report and I read the McKinsey report. And it hasn't been my experience that there has been a drop in sales. Okay. Um, but I, I can't, I'm not an economist, um, sure. but that hasn't been my experience. And we have a, a large tea rooms that has a significant volume of coffee sales mm. and there's been nothing but positivity. Okay. So I don't believe there will be a loss of 4,000 jobs okay. and I don't believe people will experience a dip in sales. Not at a 20 cent level. I think the government are, are, are going in at the right level. Mm. I think they're nudging slowly giving mm. people a chance to, to find solutions and to implement those solutions. Mm. And d- I've also experienced all of the utility charges mm. going up, the food crisis going up, the VAT is supposed to be increasing in, in August. Mm. Um, so I understand the pressures that the coffee shop are under. I am under the same pressures. Mm. Is there a case for, for making the levy a less blunt instrument, for having it graduated in some way? I don't think so. It's at such a low level. It's at 20 cents. Um, So what do you start doing? I mean, how do you tear it? It Mm. it just becomes so complicated. I really don't think so. I mean, Mm. the plastic bag levy was incredibly successful. And we're very good at Ireland and getting on board. When when everybody is at a a kind of a level playing field, I think it will work. One of the arguments in the report was that um, single-use cups can offer some, in some cases, offer environmental advantages over the reusable alternative, which are result in higher greenhouse gas emissions. Is that again, again, that? it's a very it, it's based on a life cycle analysis, and yeah. again, I'm not an expert in that area, but it mm. does depend on 
the number of reuses you get and the quality of reusable cup you get. Okay. So the McKinsey report is based on taking those cups. It was based on a, a 20 uses um, and yeah. on on the cups then being sent to a central sanitization station, which does, you know, in a life cycle analysis, examines a product from the raw material extraction right through the whole process um, until it's destroyed, you know, including everything, including the transport. And I think if you have to take things back to a centralization station and sanitize them, then you're adding transport costs, you're adding, you know, you're adding more emissions. And yeah. and I suppose the solution that, that we have is that the food operator will clean the cup themselves in the same way they do with crockery or any other mm. um you know, I mean, the customer trusts us to clean the crockery. They're going to trust us to clean the reusables. Sure. Um, so in our case, um, it's not the case that, that our um, reusable product causes more damage to the environment because we're at 200 uses. Um, mm. So if, if he's saying at 20 uses, and, and, sure. and they do acknowledge in the McKinsey report that there is a place for reusables. Mm. They just... Are, are suggesting that it depends in which way those reusables are used and okay. how many reuses they... So cheaper reusables are the, are the things to avoid, Cheaper perhaps. reusables are the type of thing to avoid, yeah. Yeah. Tell us a bit about, about your solution. Uh, about our solution. You, you've linked up with... It's a, amazing. With your, <laughs> <laughs> you've linked up with an international we company have, called uh, Vital. We've linked up with Vital. I mean, during COVID, we were totally overwhelmed by the amount of packaging. I mean, we mm. always tried to do the right thing. We had gone from recyclable to Irish compostable. Um, and the amount of packaging in our homes and everything was takeaway yeah, and absolutely. Um, it, w- it was just absolutely overwhelming. Yeah. So we became inspired by a girl who, who ran the Conscious Cup company. This is the one where you bring your own cup, mm. um, Circa Kavanagh, and she, and she got us into the idea of different reuse systems across mm. Europe and across the world. So we looked at ones in New Zealand, in Spain, in mm. the UK, there's we Can Can, there's Boomerang in Spain and we came across Vital and we knew straight away you know, after several hours of researching that this was an absolute mm. winner. Um, and we went over to Vital and um, we secured... In Germany? In Germany, yeah. We've yeah. been over there several times and secured the franchise. Um, so they're franchising now to 13 different countries um, and they are based in Germany and uh, their idea is... It's totally free for the user. Mm-hmm. Um, so the user rocks up with their coffee cup. They do need to download an app mm-hmm. um, and the coffee cup gets stand out, scanned out or any, it could apply to any packaging, pizza boxes, burger boxes, deli boxes. Okay. So they pay nothing. They get the container um, and they take it away to their home and then they drop it back to any participating partner and it gets okay. scanned back in again. Not necessarily um, where they bought the coffee. No, not necessarily where they bought it. So, okay. in so the, the, the retailer gives them the cup. It's a standard kind of It's a standard, a standard okay. takeaway cup. I've been using mine for a year and a half and okay. it's still perfect. And um, if you don't return the cup, presumably there is some then, kind of charge. Then there is a penalty. And and the okay. whole I- idea of this, okay. it, it's very, um, I suppose, dissimilar to deposit returns. So deposit return, you have to pay the money up front. Mm-hmm. And so you're not really incentivized to bring it back. If it's only a one or two euro. Okay. I mean, I've had loads of, I won't even mention the name of the company, but the cups are accumulating at home and I keep saying, yeah. oh, I must bring them back. Yeah. But yeah. if you've got a penalty that is a little bit more, so for, for our cups, it's about five or six euro, okay. you will return them. And for a pizza box, it's about 12 euro. Okay. So you're going to return that. And how soon do you have to? If, if two weeks. And two weeks, um, okay. it's gamified. You get It's it's based on technology. So okay. you get texts to say, you have three days to left. Okay. You get, and you can extend that period. You can say, oh, well, I'm away on holidays. Can I just keep it for another week? Okay. So as long as you return that container, you don't get charged at all. So completely okay. free, 
It's super convenient for the user. Um, in Germany, they've got like 11,000 partners in one city. So you've got people going to work, getting in the coffee shop, dropping it back in the supermarket, yeah. in the post office, in the spa. And it, it works like a dream. Okay. Um, so And the retailer then and the cleans retailer it and... Cleans it and puts it back out again. Okay. So they don't then have to pay their packaging costs, but they do have to pay their washing Cleaning costs. costs. Okay. Um, but so they, you avoid the you avoid the problem of yeah, a reusable yeah. only being used a few times because yeah, yeah, it's being yeah, effectively it's being, recycled. Uh, yeah, recycled over and over and over again. Okay. Um, and then um, the business pays. We are trying to make it an equivalent price to um, a single use cup. So okay. if they pay fourteen cents for a coffee cup, ours is fifteen cents. Like okay. so, they shouldn't feel much difference. Um, okay. And so maybe a pizza box might be thirty cents. You know, so it, it depends on the packaging item. Mm -hmm. But really, it, it is the perfect solution. Um, for us as a business, it's a social enterprise. Um, yeah. We're not making any money out of it. We're just trying to do the right thing. Okay. Well done on that. And is there much of a take-up? Are you getting yeah, no, it's brilliant. Um, enthusiastic so, take-up from so other So what we have learned um, that if, if you can make it obligatory, you know, if you give people a choice, they're going to yeah. take the easiest, most convenient option. But if you can make it obligatory... Um, and if you're in a closed loop, then it really is, it really takes off. So okay. DCU are, are, are kind of forerunners at the moment. All our eyes are in DCU. I had a meeting last week with all the other different universities. Yeah. Um, so we had Trinity there, we had Maynooth. Uh, so you mean the, the coffee shops in DCU? Yes, they, the they would have. I mean, there's 120,000 yeah. students, okay. um, you know, so even if they use it a couple of times a week, you're up to about 6 million uses yeah. a year. Yeah. So. The coffee shops and in in DCU, and we're also involved with Iron Mark and with Compass, okay. but and they supply some of the other universities. Okay. But in DCU, for instance, they're they're making it as part of their onboarding. So when it comes to September, okay. they're going to give people a while. They'll start um, imposing their own levy, and then they'll give people a while to get used to the idea that they need to use the vital system, and then they're going to make it obligatory. Okay. So it will be absolutely amazing, and the, all our eyes are in DCU, and the other universities then will come on board. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, we're very excited about it in the university and we're very excited about it in, in closed loop. Um, so with Ironmark and Compass, it's amazing as well because they're going to make a closed loop. A closed loop means that it's mainly consumed on site and then you throw it away on site. Okay. So, so say you're in your office building and it's a canteen and you have this disposable cup, yeah. you're just going to put it there. And if yeah. you bring it home, you're, you're coming back to the same place the next day. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're, they're really great and it's so convenient for people. And yeah. um, they're going into that office every day. And if they're not going in, they're going in the following week. Yeah. Um, so closed loop is, is really good. Concerts are another thing we're hoping to um, team up with MCD and um, do concerts. Okay, so how, do, how would it work in a concert setting? Oh, it's great in a concert setting. So they, again, all the food providers just scan them out again. And they, okay. they, at, at the moment, what happens? Uh, so you go, you buy your cup or yeah, your, your coffee, burger or whatever. Yeah. You, you give it back to the retailer yeah. and you're, you're yeah, clear. And you're done, you're clear. Um, so okay. that's that's again closed loop. So it's yeah. you know it's before they leave the premises and yeah, yeah no, it's so amazing. So our real our real market at the moment. I mean, we will refuse nobody, and we've got loads of individual partners. But our real market at the moment is closed loop, um, big universities, yeah. uh, institutions, um, places are like Iron Mark and Compass uh, where they've where they've got corporate catering, yeah. um, and they're the ones who will make the huge change. I mean, most people are in an office. Or, you know, we'll hit all the 18 to 24 year olds yeah. if we get the concerts and the universities. Yeah. And if the change can start happening at that level, um, then I really think we're onto a winner. So we're very, very hopeful. Um, we're flat out. <laughs> 
course. We are flat out. We've got, yeah. we've got, uh, we can't keep up with the amount of contacts that Fantastic. we've had. Yeah. And we've been talking to all the main um, coffee chains. Um, we're finding too that the big institutions have sustainability departments yeah. and, and they all have huge budgets and they're all trying to do the right thing. Great, yeah. And which I was quite surprised about, you know, whether it's Camille, we're launching Camille Thai, um, whether it's Camille or it's Butler's or it's, you know, they have sustainability teams. Yeah. Um, so they've got the resources to really... That's what consumers are demanding, I guess. So Yeah, no, yeah. it is. It's what the the world needs. Yeah. Um I don't think we have a choice on this. Absolutely. And Michelle, you have some you have some official support for this initiative we as well. We do, we do. And I have to I have a big shout out to the EPA for funding us. Um that's the Environment Protection Agency and for the East Midlands Regional Waste Office. Hugh Cochlin has been amazing and Dublin City Council. Um so Les Moore, they have all been incredibly supportive of our world completely behind us in this great great to get some wider support and uh, you avoid the latte levy as well of course you do avoid the latte levy <laughs> <laughs> now some of them some of them will say because the way that it's it's priced out separately on on the and the receipt the customer is really paying the latte levy so yeah, that's why yeah. the nudge has to come both ways yeah so this will involve some extra yeah. costs in we're terms finding of the biggest challenge is not with the businesses and and that's why the gym power sport kind of surprised me yeah. um, I think they are a bit nervous but I think they haven't taken the time maybe to it's it's actually very hard to take the time to really delve into this and research it. But I don't think the businesses are going to have a problem. It's making the systemic behavioural change yeah. with the customers that has been the uphill battle. Interesting inertia. Um, inertia. Yeah. Well done. Well done on that. It's a very yeah. interesting initiative. Uh, we wish you the best, uh, Michelle McLaughlin. Thank you very much for joining us. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Kira O'Brien and Michelle McLaughlin for joining me on the show. John Casey produced this episode with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Cliff Taylor. Until next time, take care.